What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirit remains unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 37 of the podcast, and we are once again very happy you were able to join us. I am a champion. I am unbroken. I lost some games at LVO. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is what this show aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two games in a major event. We are going to talk about the mistakes they made, how they plan to move forward from those mistakes, and just talk about general strategy. Let's talk shop. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? My dice were to blame for my losses this week, and plain and simple, turn the show off right now. We're not even talking about it. I'm exhausted. LVO, Vegas, they were literally the death of me, and if you were there, I'm sure you were in full LVO recovery. You're settling in to listen to a week's weeks and weeks of content to come we will likely stay on lvo train for the next month so get a cup of tea get your favorite kenny rogers album out cozy on up with unbroken our first guest from lvo is a repeater he played his bellacore demons into a very mean meta and he came out on the other side so this is part one of the episode and this part we'll be analyzing the game talking about common mistakes we're going to talk about secondaries and target priority in part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com, we'll the be talking about, also known as the Bradning, or the Brad Hour, or the, the, the Witching Hour, really, is what it really is. We just call it the Bradning. And it's, um, it's a deep dive in the strategy. I'll put one in the deep dive jar. It's been probably 10 episodes. Thank you, Steve Joel. But we'll be, we'll be talking about strategy. We'll be talking about list adjustments. We'll be talking about all the things this player plans to do to move forward in the new 2022 meta. So make sure to listen for that elite player mindset. My co-host, in a true rock star fashion, he leapt from the stage at LVO during the awards ceremonies. He had no adoring fans there to catch him. So I blame every single listener here today for his sprained ankle. He has literally won zero events this ITC season. Let me say that again. He has won no events since ITC reset yesterday. But let me recap a little bit of his history. He is the winner of the Michigan GT in 2021. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He won Infinity Adepticons. He's a three-time top finisher, uh, top eight finisher at LVO. He won the Armed Forces GT last year, which is relevant for our guest today. He is a 2021 ACO champion, runner-up against Workshop New Orleans. He is the Prime Minister of Canada after winning studs and stotlings. Studs and snotlings? Mr. Brad Chester. <sighs> Brad. Remember that time I jumped off stage and I landed so gracefully, so gracefully. The The best part was is Blake shamed me into going and getting my uh, ankle x-rayed. Uh, I, I think the term was, go get your foot x-ray, you moron. It could be broke. And I walked in, and they asked me what happened, and I told them a doctor friend of mine shaved me into this x-ray, and they go, how did it happen? I go, sometimes I make bad decisions, and I think I'm 20. (laughs) (laughs) The the best is the doctor comes in and goes, I heard you're a moron that thinks he's 20. And I was like, that's me. You, You have it correct, sir. Perfect. Um, Brad, I have my notes here from last week that I wanted you to pick me as the dark horse. Um, 
I hope you didn't. Did you put any money on that or do anything related to my performance at LVO? You were my dark horse, my friend, because you were changing bandages on Brad, and you were the MVP of the tournament for me. Not not MVP play-wise, but I was the MVP of the tournament for you. I'm proud of that. Okay, I'll take that. Mark one of my, uh, in my accomplishments. If you're doing an intro for me, I'd want that in the intro. Your MVP of 2022 <laughs> Las Vegas Open for Brad Chester. It's, the season's been one day in. I'm already MVP. Love it. Love it. Our you have guest more accolades today. than me for this with this this year so far. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm already king of king of uh, king of the ITC. Uh, our guest today was last on the show during episode 15. We've grown a lot as guests and as hosts since then. And I'm not sure Mark has even endured a Bradening yet. So he has. I don't know if he's seen what's yet to come, but he's in for a real ride. He plays for the U.S. Army esports team. He had an absolute whirlwind 2021 ITC season. It was cut short a little bit due to work. Mr. Mark H. Hey, how's it going? Did I say your last name wrong? Uh, H. It's fine. I think Most I got people it. just call me Mark. It, yeah. You, you did not get it, but that's I okay. I got it. I think I nailed it, it. Blake has literally gotten two. I think two. What episode are we on? 37? Yeah, I mean two for thirty-seven. I mean that's a good uh, shot selection, buddy. You know what I, I mean? Not a big deal. I think I did pretty good. I think I've, I think I've been pretty good lately. I, this is a repeat, so I think I hit it. I, I'm going to re-listen, and if I didn't hit it, I'm sorry, Mark. But um, all good, all good. Mark, you you had a great season, but you had to miss some events this year, man. Yeah, unfortunately, with work and uh, deployments and uh, going on trips for the army, uh, I actually missed about oh, God. I missed. Two GW Opens that I plan to go to. I missed a couple other majors I had planned to go to. I think all in all, I missed like five majors and a couple of GTs that I had planned to go to. I missed I missed about half the season I had planned, unfortunately. Well, but you, you just had to happens. keep keep us safe, keep us protected. Okay, Mark, cool, thanks, man. I know. I tried to tell them I got tournaments to go to, and they're like, <laughs> "No, nah, war's kind get of your, a big deal." Guys, get your priorities straight. Yeah, tournaments are so much more important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but awesome, Mark. Thanks, thanks for everything you do, man. You you do an awesome job at uh, at arming for us for those who for those of us who cannot. So we really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you. Yeah, seriously, thank you. So tell us a little bit about LVO. We were there, but just run us through the the massive event that was Las Vegas Open. It's I mean it's basically like a double RTT, right, guys? It's a pretty small thing. Yeah, tiny. Yeah, but you know you get. Would would walk in and you immediately know absolutely everyone, uh, just like home. Yeah, you know, just like uh, home. Uh, it's uh, it's my second LBO ever, considering um, uh, last year's didn't go off and whatnot. But uh, I walked in and uh, again, I was just blown away by it. I, you know, I've only been playing for about three years now, so you know, seeing events like that and going to these big majors is still relatively fresh for me and whatnot, especially like we just covered, you know, I miss a number of them. So there's only so many I can get to, but yeah, uh, went in, um, got in like late, late Thursday. I got in about midnight and got a quick few hours of sleep and, uh, went in, went through my rounds. You know, I, uh, I got a, throughout LBO, I actually got a good spread of different, uh, people to play. Obviously the thousand suns matchup was, in my opinion, the most interesting and and one of the funner, if not the funnest game I played that weekend. And then, yeah, I played Sisters. I played Chaos Space Marines. I played, uh, if you include also the RTT afterwards uh, that I decided to jump in, uh, 
played against Vecrons, played against did you win Orcs. That I did not actually. I played against um, Orcs. The the I can't remember his name. Really nice gentleman. Uh, we were in the finals of it. He was the Orc player right behind Perry. Uh, I can't Is it remember. Was he what? Was it Lucas Troller? Possibly. He he knew Luke or he knew Mark and sat down and they were BSing, but I think he was right behind Perry. But it was, was, uh, where, where, where was he from? Because it could have been somebody I was <laughs> I know he was he was American. That's that's oh, I know. I'll tell you this. It was my last game. It was the last of the nine games. So I, we were both like extremely tired and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna find this while you tell us about what you brought. Yeah. yeah. Before we jump into that, I do want to I do want to talk a little bit about we talk about player place terrain for months leading up to LVO. It's just like all we talked about on this show. I feel like it was like 10 minutes of conversation every episode. So I do want to talk about that a bit. And I do want to talk about the fact that there were people at LVO. I didn't even know where people I know well. I didn't even know where at LVO. I looked at the list afterwards. I was like, huh, like, holy, like uh, Marshall Peterson was there. Like, I know Marshall. I wish I'd talked to him. And then there's all these crazy people that were there that I didn't even, like, uh, see. So that's just how massive LVO is. It's pretty shocking. But, Mark, what did you think about player place terrain and the way that LVO handled it with just this? I mean, there were 500 boards set up, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, so I will say this. I will preface this by that initially before getting experience with this type of player set terrain, I was not a fan of player set terrain. I, uh, I had some reserves about it because of my, my only prior experiences had been sort of free reign player set terrain, uh, which resulted in some very wonky boards and whatnot. In this case, where there was multiple restrictions, such as nothing within four inches, which I think is generally a good measurement with some adjustment based on if anybody brought models that would need a larger gap to go through and nothing within six inches of the large ruins and then um, nothing beyond your own territory with those restrictions in place uh, and the table set that they had out. I, I think it was actually very healthy and I actually really enjoyed this player set terrain. It's it's it definitely changed my mind on it. So I was, I was pretty happy with it, honestly. I went in cold. I mean, um, we. This is also a whole running thing with this show for the last month. Is I've never done it. Okay. Well, yeah, I did it now, and I think it was pretty cool. I'm okay with it. I think it was a good way to play the game. I still like GW better, but I do think that it creates a pretty balanced board with the way that um, Frontline Gaming does their setup, where you each get identical pieces. That's pretty cool. It was some of the pieces were very very hard to, to do. Like I'm very comfortable with player place terrain, but like for instance, I played on the Orc board several times. And it, it it was difficult to put some of those big, big pieces out when you had that great hall in the middle because of the fact that you can't put the you can't put your piece on top of the objective itself. And the pieces were so large that it was difficult to maneuver them to be six inches away from each other, you know, four inches away from the the board edge, not on top of the objective. A lot of those those boards, I had a, a lot of boards that were much, much easier, but the work board themselves with that big old great hall. Uh, was very, very difficult for me to place it. And I've done a lot of player-based terrain. Any of the boards that had a central preset, I didn't like. I didn't like the fact yeah, that there was automatically a gigantic, like, no-choice, gigantic piece in the middle that I couldn't do anything about. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that on that one. That yeah. that definitely threw, threw me off when I, I... I luckily didn't play that board much. I generally was away from that. But the one time I did, I was... Uh, 
like, man, what what are we doing here? Brad, do you have a thought on that? Sorry. Yeah, it's just it's just it's deceptively difficult because you think you're going to be like, oh, it's just six inches away. I can fit that easy, you know, four inches. But then you realize, oh, I'm playing or, you know, retrieval. I'm trying to put something out for battle lines and you realize, oh, I can't put this help me with anything about the only thing I can do is help my opponent out by putting it. So I can't take it from my side. He can take it from his. So it was a little difficult on those ones with the middle. I love that. I, I like play place train. It's just a, the, I didn't like player place terrain with that big old, the same thing you were saying, with the big old great hall in the middle, it was deceptively hard to actually put your stuff on top of objectives. I'll say that um, I'll give I'll give a shameless plug here for Brad, because um, if you listen to the Road to LVO player place terrain episode on the War Room, I listened to that thing on repeat like four times on my flight to Vegas. It's like, I'm still uncomfortable. And I just kept listening, kept listening. And I thought it was super helpful. Like it made my my placement like so easy. I feel like there wasn't a single game that I lost because I placed terrain really bad. So so kudos. If you want to if you want to listen, if you want to learn how to do player Thank place you. terrain, go check it out. Road to LVO, the player place terrain episode. It was fantastic. So but let's yeah, jump right into it. Let's jump right into it, man. Uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about your list. Uh, so the list is uh, kind of, uh, I know we talked about my demons last time I was here, and it was a skew list with heavy monster mash, and this time I skewed in the opposite direction. I uh, went with uh, Disciples of Bellacor. So real quick, just for anyone who doesn't know, just so we can cover this for why I've chosen or not chosen things, the restrictions on, on Disciples of Bellacor are fairly vast. So the quick version of it is no cult marines. You're not allowed to take demon engines. You're not allowed to take named characters other than Bellacor. You're not allowed to take greater demons either. And if you're going to take demons, you need to make sure that you have as even of a spread of marks as you can. So if you have, besides Bellacor, eight demon uh, units, it would be a split of two corn, two zinch, two slanesh, and to Nurgle, if you want, you can add one to any of those, and it could be like 322, two, or like in my list, it's 3322. Two, two. But once you get to that three, you can't go to four with that mark until you've bumped the other marks up to three. So those are the big restrictions that you're uh, going to see that kind of guided some of my decisions as well. But the list is Bellacor leading. He has to be your warlord. He has a chapter mastery role for his warlord trait. I have two change casters, which I'll get back to in a minute, and it's important that I take two. Uh, but the the bulk of the list is infantry. The bulk of the list is hordes. I have three squads of plague bears in split twenty five man, twenty five man, twenty five man. Uh, no upgrades to the squad. I have one squad of thirty pink horrors uh, with an iridescent horror in there. I have two squads of twenty five man bloodletters. Uh, which are both fully upgraded with their instrument for a plus one to advance and charge, as well as their banner, which allows them to recover D6 models on a roll of a one for morale test. And then the banner upgraded for one command point, which allows a three D6 added together charge once per game. And then finally, I have two squads of Furies, and those cover my Slanesh marks as they can be Mark of Chaos uh, any God that you want. So I put two Slanesh uh, marked Furies. The reason I did the two change casters is that I uh, you can't take... So they each know two psychic powers, 
from their discipline, and you have the Noctis discipline from Disciples of Bellicor, as well as the Zinch discipline that you can choose from. However, you can only choose one or the other. You can't go like one Zinch discipline power and one Noctis discipline power. So one of them wields my Noctis disciplines, and the other one wields my Zinch disciplines, which allows me access to two major uh, spells for both of them that I like. Well, tell us those spells real quick because they are pretty big. They're a pretty big deal in this army. Yeah. So, like I said, change casters can take two spells from their lore, um, and but they can only cast one. So, the change caster that's Noctis Discipline is probably the most important, as uh, he wields the uh, Shadow Step. Essentially, it's it's uh, something that lets you, on a cast of a six, uh, teleport your unit anywhere, a non-monster, non-vehicle unit, uh, anywhere on the board nine inches away from enemy models, which means you can essentially turn one deep strike. Uh, And then the other one he knows for when he's done doing that is Wreathed in Shades, which allows you to basically, unless the opponent gets within 12 inches, they're not allowed to shoot at that unit uh, unless it's the closest uh, unit to them. The second change caster knows Gaze of Fate, which provides you a single dice reroll. But the actual important spell here is the um, Flickering Flickering Flames. Yes, Flickering (laughs) Flames. Sorry, it takes me a second to remember the names. But it gives a plus one to wound to a Zinch Demon unit uh, on their uh, shooting attacks, which is big with that 30 block of pink horrors. Just be like me. I don't even tell anybody what the actual name is. Just go, I'm casting plus one. <laughs> there you yeah. go. That's what I normally do. Yeah. But man, that list is so I, fun. I love demons. I like this. But the thing is, is, I like this a lot out of the meta, though. This is a great pick, Mark, because I, I actually think, and there's a couple people that did that, this just general concept, because there's so many thick cities. There's crushers. There's, we saw a lot of it coming into LVO. We had all those English tournaments where everybody was bringing a thick city crusher, thick city crusher. And the thing is that, People are countering that, but they're countering it with big guns, big attacks. And all of a sudden you go, oh, you didn't bring enough swings to kill this much stuff. And, that, and that's a real thing. <laughs> I don't know who uh, I may have uh, followed uh, prey to that kind of concept. So the it's a, it's a big deal, though. You're, you're basically, plus the fact that, again, you just have an invault. So you can always take off a percentage of all these attacks. So even if they do have... Uh, maybe enough attacks. You just go, well, I wrote some invulns, and now I, I just still have all of these. That's a lot of obsec bodies, a lot of invulns, and a lot of these armies, again, are taking a lot of big stuff and or a lot of counters for big stuff. So I, I just love this into the stuff meta right things. now. It is stuff and things, though. The thing is, is that everybody always thinks that they have to kill everything, and I know I'm preaching on this, but I, I just I think it's such a big deal that you look at the score sheet first. It's that you don't get any stickers for killing a, a million models. You look at the bottom of the sheet and go, "Hey, did I score more points than my opponent did?" And you can you have tons of ability to score uh, secondaries and stuff. Speaking of that, what a what mission were you playing, and what secondaries did you pick going into this? Uh. Well, I picked my typical ones uh, for my first two, which is Stranglehold and Rod. Um, Those two are pretty much go-tos with this list. You have the mobility to Stranglehold right off the rip, even if the board's really wide and objectives are far away, being able to teleport lets you have that. And then uh, Rod is 
fairly simple. You have two squads of Furies. They're 45 points. It's one CP to put them in reserves. It's a small unit of five. You can fit them somewhere on the board usually. And uh, get your rod done. First turn, you're generally going to do it with Plague Bears and whatnot. The last one I took was actually While We Stand, We Fight. Uh, Normally, I go with, in this Thousand Suns matchup, uh, I decided with that because normally I try to do a psychic secondary but it's thousand suns i recognize that that's not necessarily the best call when your opponent has a million denies and possible bonuses and whatnot and it's 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 a little rough to take that against a list like thousand suns or great knights so it was bellicor your whores and who's your third uh plague plague bearers it looks like anybody I just like realized that I'm looking at your list. You're like, who's your third? Yes, whoever yeah. I wanted to be, because there's so many. You said my units are going to cost two twenty five, and I found my price, and I'm sticking with it. Did you, uh, Brad? Before we go any further, why don't you go ahead and uh, rattle off that uh, thousand sun list? Can do. We've got a cult of duplicity. We've got an exalted sorcerer. Another exalted sorcerer taking all of the stuff. Ori. We've got. Uh, Lord of Forbidden Lore, an Infernal Master. We've got one, two, three, uh, 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 four, five units of rubrics, all five strong. Uh, the best, they, a lot of these guys, I love this uh, on here, by the way. It's super tricksy. Uh, every single one of the rubrics, the Aspiring Sorcerer took Temporal Surge, uh, Warp Time, so they can shake and bake those units. Two big units of Occult Terminators. Whew. And Two units of chaos spawn, one five and four man, and one four man. That is a whole heap, a lot of scarab occult terminators, and a whole lot of movement. You had to think about that going into your game. Not only does he have the duplicity spell every single turn that he has access to to move a unit around the board, excuse me, but you've also got somebody that's going to be able to move around with uh, warp time. So what were your initial thoughts into this? Did you think this was a favorable matchup? And what was your overall strategy? Oh, before I ever went into it, I uh, uh, looks like someone's about to do to me what I've been doing to people all day. And that's uh, that's playing a list that's really good against a specific type of list. Um, don't get me wrong. This list is also good against what the meta is. But very specifically, the big thing in there is uh, they have a relic that uh, kind of shuts down the theme of my list. One thing I didn't really cover is Disciples of Bellicor. The reason I chose them is because you can stack minuses to hit with the Plague Bears or just in general have minus to hit. Uh, our aura from our characters is outside of 12 inches, you're minus one to hit uh, on range attacks. And then even if you're within 12 inches, no matter what, uh, ranged attacks do not get rerolls to hit. So when you're forcing people to hit at fours, typically, and whatnot, and you're taking away rerolls, even when you start seeing mass shooting across the table, it gets cut down really quick when you have to go through fours to hit, uh, generically fours to wound, and then you have to get through a five-up in ball, and then a five-up feel no pain, and all of a sudden 200 shots becomes maybe 20 kills. Uh, but this list has not only the 200 plus shots it needs with all the rotor cannons being everywhere, as well as, you know, mass storm bolters, the movement and teleports to get in rapid fire range whenever they want the terminators who are always rapid firing. But on top of it, they have a relic that allows the wielder to pick something on the board that it can see and 
your army within six inches of the wielder uh, ignores the penalties that you incur for hits, wounds, uh, and even uh, damage modifiers. I would say damage reduction yep. also goes away, which yep. is such a huge deal. So yeah, I saw this and I was like, oh, this is going to be rough. Uh, and it was. I'm actually very happy that it, it, it uh, the game ended 51 to 61. I made it a 10-point game at least. So, uh, But uh, yeah, I knew going into it that my board was mostly going to be cleared by the end of it. Uh, I was hoping that I could save at least a couple units, and if I played those units right, I would be able to take 10 points away from all we stand versus I, I don't think I would have cleared any points what, really. with what, what, was, what was the mission again? I am trying to remember. It was, uh, it was we started three. in corners. It was... Um, Vital intelligence, I want to say. Mission uh, was it day one, last game. Yeah, day one, last game. Vital intelligence. Yes. Uh, so, going into it, I definitely knew that the the other issue with our matchup was that he also had a lot of obsec. Now, I did have more bodies, but he had more resilient bodies. And looking at it, while my bodies are triple what his bodies are in counts, uh, I would easily say his bodies are triple or more than that in resilience, especially when you start taking away my minuses to hit. So I I didn't feel like I could reliably um, take him off of objectives later in the game. So going in, I knew I wanted to basically put him on zero on primaries for at least the first two turns he was scoring to make it more difficult for him to catch up. Uh, and that's generally a, a big plan I go with in most of my games. In fact, uh, throughout LVO, he was the one who scored the most on primaries against me, scoring 20 points primary. Everybody else scored 10 or less. Um, you know, you can, you as you know, you talked about before, uh, you don't get a prize for, you know, killing, you get a prize for points. So when you look at the blood letters and you know they're probably going to die anyways once they do their job, going and pushing forward, being able to touch people's objectives with that obsec, letting them die, but keep enough bodies around. You know, 25 is still a lot to shift through a five-up inbolt, 25 dudes. And as long as you can take that objective away just for their command phase, you can stop them from scoring primaries. And though you might get wiped off the board, they don't score primaries for two, maybe even three turns. They walk away with 15, 20 points, and you score 15 points twice and then another 10, and you're up on 40 you can be behind on those secondaries sometimes and still catch them with with that. That was my plan going in. Unfortunately, execution was a little harder than uh, than uh, I thought it was going to be. So where do you feel like it went south for you? So you started the game off. Your plan was to go in, try to, to put those bodies on objectives, deny primary. Where, where was kind of the breaking point where you said, ah, that maybe was a, a play that I would want to take back? Uh, first thing was I, I kind of, you know, have already gone through this in my head. I think you learn a lot from your losses. So I try to analyze those the most. And after the tournament, I sat down and really looked at this matchup. One, I deep struck the Furies and I shouldn't have. I think they're more valuable as a screen. I think if I'm going to actually, uh, take this game, I'm, going to be able to get rod in other ways with the plague bears because i'm not trying to get them in combat not in a 
uh, environment full of two up saves since I'm damage one on them and they have no AP. So I would have actually put the Furies down as an additional screen, which would have allowed me to hold my Plague Bears further back, which would have uh, blunted the initial round of shooting since I put them up front to screen for my Blood Letters. Then the Blood Letters, I pushed pretty far back, but I, I made a slight uh, mistake in how far I needed to be back. I ended up uh, mismeasuring it by an inch. And knowing that he has to land nine inches outside of me, uh, I know my blood letters need to be essentially five point or 15.1 inches back from the front of those bases that I'm using to screen, which puts wherever he lands 24.1 away. I'm not getting away from the rotor cannons. I understand that. But 24 inches on those storm bolters and taking those away initially would have actually helped a lot. I did lose a few blood letters, not too many, but every little body counts in this kind of a matchup, at least. So that was a big thing. The other big thing is that throughout the game, I was conservative with Bellacor, as I should be in this list. I don't want that sorcerer with the relic to see Bellacor because I know he's going down once he does. And Bellacor was hopping from uh, obscuring to obscuring and cashing in on small prizes where he could you know rubrics and whatnot instead of trying to break that large those large bricks of terminators if it was just one large brick of terminators i would have gone for it but considering there's two taking the efficacy of of one away doesn't do anything since the buffs can go on the other one and immediately pick up bellacore afterwards and then i have nothing to deal with that unfortunately i got a little I wouldn't say impatient because the game was over and I did have to make my strike at some point, but I will say that I overestimated what I was going to be able to do against those Terminators. I went into one squad hoping to cash in enough so that he couldn't further pick up more. And unfortunately, Bellacor just uh, didn't cash in what he needed to cash in. Uh, that was a risk I probably didn't need to take at that time. I think I should have just saved him for the fifth turn. And as, as silly as that sounds with a 360-point model, the fact is that sometimes the best value I could have gotten was the fact that he could still walk around, hold an objective, and not be taken off of it, considering I was going second, and I could have scored a uh, final 10 to 15 points on primaries uh, with him. It's also just a threat. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. has to respect that if Bellicor is still on, on the board, the threat of Bellicor is still there, no matter what he's doing. So once he's gone... He can move around a little more willy nilly without worrying about that. So it's 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 a big deal on that. Absolutely, yeah. Those assume, are the primary mistakes. Yeah, because when you lose those blood letters, you don't really have that scary punch in that list anymore. And, and then you're just you're just basically saying, "I'm gonna hoard. I'm gonna just uh, hoard up, and you're not gonna get any of these things." But with Bellacor there, it's like, okay, you can't even come over and try because Bellacor is just gonna smash you. Yeah, yeah. I will say this: the uh, um, you know the blood letters are are the thing that. Uh, a lot of people worry about and rightfully so don't get me wrong um one of the big things you can do in this list is i, I did this a couple times is if you want to make uh if you want to touch someone's backfield um one thing you can do is you have a stratagem in disciples of Bellacor that allows you to either in the charge phase or in the movement phase walk through enemy models horizontally so the thing with that is, is you don't really have the movement, uh, other than Bellacor, who already flies, to walk through models unless you're already stuck in combat, which if you were with Bloodletters, they're 
it's not many left probably on the crackback or they're about to get picked up anyways. But the big money maker is you have a 3D6 plus one charge. So on average, you have about an 11.5 inch charge with the average, the 32 mil base is what you pretty consistently see uh, when you're looking at screens and whatnot, which is, I believe, 1.5 inches, maybe a little less, maybe, no, it's just a little over one inch. So when you're looking at an 11.5 inch charge and you're looking at, you're starting nine inches away um, and you're just trying to get to the other side of their base, uh, your average charge will actually make it to the other side of their base, uh, which is big, a big deal for a number of reasons. However big that charge is beyond that side of their base, you know, your first charger connects the other ones walk through and if you know you're going into a screen such as like cultists or some random guardsmen or some some you know nids that are just out there as trash and you know you're going to pick them up with like 10 blood letters the other ones can walk behind and get more distance back of them and people who screen well don't just screen three inches back they screen out they know they have an 18 inch buffer zone from deep strike and whatnot so when you get that extra three or four inches behind them and you pick them up and then you consolidate three inches back uh that puts you seven inches behind them and then if you really really want to spend the three command points to fight again which gives you another six inches of movement that's 13 inches of of movement that you wouldn't have otherwise yes it's really command point intensive but one you're a demon's codex you're an eighth edition codex there's not much you're spending command points on anyways other than some cp rerolls uh and two Getting that three command points or four command points or five even, depending on what all you're using, can allow you to go out and take away blocks and blocks of shooting. Because if you spread out properly, you're not just going to consolidate into one or two units. You may consolidate into three or four or five. And that's four or five units that are now shooting into just the blood letters and or not shooting at all if they have a bunch of blasts. And it can actually, it's another line of defense for your hordes and a way to take away shooting. The, the goal of this list, you're not going to pick up your opponent's army typically. You're not going to table someone. They're going to be left with a thousand plus points on the table. And you're probably going to be left in the end of the game with like two or three hundred. But you're going to be left with way more points than them. And that's yeah. kind of how you have to operate the list. Wow. Yeah, I feel like you just went blind and told everyone how to play demons like like modern it's like it's like all right mark just told everyone how to win um all right, i guess we he, just, did, he just will ferreled it yeah we, we can just end what happened guys i just i just blacked out for a minute what happened <laughs> i blacked out yeah, <laughs> yeah i feel like everything you said just like uh solved the the riddle of demons man that was that was great you stole a lot of mark's thunder in part two he's gonna hit you in the head with a hammer now but uh that's messing uh this with mark between mark and brad it's all right <laughs> I don't have any wins dang, this dang. in this ITC season, which is a day long. No wins. No win, Brad. I've got some Bradney stuff. I'm ready. You ready? For I really it? like. I want to talk about the Furies move. Uh, that's what I'm going to start with. Before we go, I do want to point out that um, Brad has a new background setup, and I really hate it. He has. Um, he normally does Vulcan, which I appreciate, but today he's doing like Gaz, I think, or is that Gazgul? What do you got back there? Gazgul. You're not. You're not an orc player. Get out of here with that nonsense, bro. I embrace any bandwagon that will take me, and he's at any time. Well, okay. I I don't accept it. I don't accept your fandom of orcs, but um, maybe other people will. All right, everybody. Mark, thanks for coming. Oh, there we go. There's Vulcan. There we go. But 
All right, Mark, thanks for coming on, man. We'll join you for part two. I'm very excited about it. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to join our other shows. We have The Art of War Vanilla Kiwi with the very Kiwi Steve Joel and Mr. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Lennon. And then, of course, we have the very patriotic, very American Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. Everyone just wish him well. Late and great. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you did not know you loved until you tried it. Thanks for joining us once again. Check us out on theartofwar40k.com. Thanks for listening. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 